Hey there, welcome to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. My name is AJ, and today my guest is a great friend of mine named Ben Klein. Ben has been backpacking for the last few years and has gone on some really kind of adventurous trips for a fairly novice backpacker, but has really learned the ropes quickly and really shared a lot of great tips for those of you that are kind of getting started slash starting to kind of get your wings underneath you. And uh, I just really enjoyed my conversation with him. Ben's a really funny guy. Uh, We just had a great time. So let's go ahead and get right in. All right, we are live. So Ben Klein, so you and I obviously went to high school together. We've known each other for coming up on, as weird as it sounds, like close to 20 years. Because we just had our 15-year reunion, and that's from graduation. So Yeah, that's probably about right. Coming up there. Yeah. Pull that up closer to you. That's yeah, up better. there like Yeah, perfect. Exactly. So um, you got into backpacking, I would say, a little later in the game. You weren't like didn't grow up doing it. It wasn't something I'd understand that like you and your dad did or anything together. Um, what was it that got you into it originally? Yeah, I think so we did, you know, if you know, a few like, you know, camping trips with the car nearby um, and stuff when I was younger. But uh, yeah, nothing as extensive as kind of getting out there, putting a full pack on and spending a few days. I think, you know, part of it was, you know, exploring hobbies as as we talked about earlier. And then, um, you know, I think it's it's just, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect my first time kind of doing it. And afterwards, kind of that that reward of, of what you get similar to sports and and everything for kind of working through everything and and some of those amazing views you get to uncover. Um, you know, I think the journey is is kind of what made it exciting. Cool. Cool. Now, so who got you involved in it or invited you on your first trip? How did that happen? Yeah, just, you know, it was a few high school guys that we know. And then um, another one of my buddies from college was interested. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, our friend Al had probably done a little bit more along the way um, and probably Matt too, but, um, you know, heard about this awesome spot, saw pictures of it, heard it was remote. Um, isolated. And I think from there, you know, we got a few calls together and started planning the trip um, and better understanding, you know, what gear I need and and what that entails. And then after that, you know, once you kind of start getting a few things, um, it's great. Now I'm at the point where I could pick up in a, you know, a week's notice and and go somewhere, (laughs) which is exciting. It's such a cool thing. I mean, and I always tell people with when it comes to backpacking, there's kind of a minimum investment that's going to be required on the front end and you can do it anywhere from Walmart to, you know, going to REI or a really high end store, you know, like the Alpine shop in St. Louis and you can go crazy and spend many thousands of they dollars. Pay you to say the Alpine no, shop? no, I just, I will say this. I have an equal affinity <laughs> I love for the, the Alpine, Alpine shop and for REI. I yeah. think that both of them have their place in the market. I think there's things that REI does really, really well. Um, but there's also some stuff that I think the Alpine shop, kind of excels in i think that their apparel uh selection is is considerably bigger i agree uh and obviously yeah i think you know they have some some kind of niche brands that rei is probably not going to cover carry uh obviously they have a whole ski department that rei doesn't have they have a much larger water sports department when it comes to kayaks and things like that less people Um, there too yeah less people and and on top of that i think that they're you know not that that the folks at rei aren't in to the activities and aren't outdoors people themselves. I think a lot of them are far more experienced than I, but it seems like at least the regulars at the Alpine shop are 
truly working there because they just want to be around the industry not and they, because they know they really their stuff need. there yeah for sure yeah for sure so um so when you got invited where was the first trip that you guys went on yeah the first you know multi-night trip uh was in uh, the wind river range which is in wyoming it's about an hour and a half uh from jackson hole and, then, um, and you, so you guys flew into Jackson. Yeah, actually, I, Al and I drove out there. Oh, you guys drove. I think I, I think I flew out of there, but um, drove there because Matt needed his car there for gotcha. something. He was staying longer, and so we gotcha. drove out there. Um, you know, kind of got acclimated for a few days, uh, which was fun, and saw Jackson and yeah, the town sure. and everything. And then, um, you know, got everything organized, got the packs ready, and went to bed early and. <laughs> Made a trek out. Do you remember about what elevation that kind of trip hovers around or, or sits in? Uh, I mean, I think I think Jackson's probably in the six to eight. Okay, so you're um, in there. And then, um, you know, I think we were definitely, you know, 11s, 12s, gotcha. somewhere in that range. So I don't enough know exactly. to feel some serious altitude. Oh, yeah. Significant feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You felt it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so how many days, how many nights? Yeah, we did. I think we did th- uh, three days or th- four days, three nights. We were going to do one night longer, um, but it was just raining a ton that that last night. So we and I think, you know, at that point, we didn't have one great tent. Like we had one good tent and one not good tent <laughs> yeah. since it was an early, you know, early yeah. in our, our journey for this. And so, you know, I think Matt and I were sharing a tent and we were just we were definitely soaked. But, you know, if you went down a little bit, you were just like your sleeping bag was just soaking wet. It's one of the things <laughs> that I think has been the one of the biggest motivating factors in my going to hammocks uh, from tents has been the rain factor. Um, when Sarah and I went to Rocky Mountain National Park, um, the whole week leading up to that trip was supposed to be daytimes in the upper 60s, lower 70s, sunny, beautiful, lows in the low 40s, upper 40s at night, and also sunny and, and or not sunny, but clear. Then like Two days before we left, this huge front came in, weather shifted, bad rain, snow, sleet, all kinds of cold weather. And our four-day, three-night trip, we had about 12 to 14 hours of actual good weather, and the rest of it was just miserable. Yeah, that's tough. And for the most part, we were we slept dry because of the just simple design, the way that hammocks work. You got to be a little bit careful with your tarp in the morning because they do start to wet out just like a tent does. And if you put too much pressure, if you stand up and lean into your tarp, all the water that's sitting on the inside of it will just immediately shed off onto you and your quilts and everything. So you have to be a little bit careful how you manage it, but you can stay dry. And the fact that you're not on the ground sitting in puddles as it builds is huge, huge. Yeah, it's uh, it can make or break a trip for yeah. sure. But um, yeah, we uh, we cut out a a day early um on that trip, so I think we ended up three nights. I will say though, it, was it your experience that did you feel more confident on your next trips knowing you'd made through something like that? Oh, e- even each one, you know, for a, a few years, you, you kind of, you know, first, like I packed way too much. <laughs> like I didn't need all this stuff. I didn't pack the right stuff. What did you take early that you don't take anymore? Yeah. So this is pretty funny. So <laughs> for some reason I thought, you know, I knew it was going to get cold up, you know, in Wyoming yep. at that elevation. So I brought a pair of sweatpants. Like cotton sweatpants. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, 
They now, got did wet. You, did you also bring a base layer or long underwear, or was that like what you were using? No, I both. Oh, you brought both. both. Yeah, wow. it was more just, you know, be comfortable, gotcha. have some warmth, whatever. And, you know, that was fine, whatever. But then they got wet oh, with all so that they rain. they 100 pounds. And so <laughs> and we decided to leave early. They were not dry yet because I had left them out oh. too dry, but then it rained again. Um, and so I am carrying, you know, never again. I am... Sh- walking back you know i think we had like 17 miles to get back or oh something like that God. or 15 miles and so i'm carrying an extra probably you know six pounds of what do you think your pack weighed on your first trip oh gosh i don't want to know it was brutal i mean it's easily have shaved 10 15 20 yeah, oh pounds yeah, for sure off that but I are don't you know. using the are you still using the same pack that you yeah. started with and you still same like pack. it and i think that's what you know is interesting too you learn your pack better and how to big time how to use it better, how to organize it better, um, and you know how to arrange things better. So yeah, each time has been a learning experience, and then now you know, kind of at the point too, where maybe each each trip I'll get one new thing or something like that that's a little better. Yeah. You know, like the stove thing, or you know, maybe uh, I'll get a new uh, platypus or something next sure. time that's a little better designed and stuff, and a little lighter and easier to work with. But each time trying to you know, get as, as slim as possible and sure. stuff. Food is always the variable that kind of adds a lot of weight that, uh, you know, depending on who you're with and how luxurious you want to eat, For uh, sure. you know, not that it's that luxurious, but beyond just the, uh, you know, just the water, add water meals and stuff yeah. like that can be a large variable, yeah. but yeah, big difference between the first trip, how heavy my pack was and kind of where it is now and what I need and what I don't need. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I think I realized pretty quickly was a, you, you can look at all the diagrams on like Pinterest or on Instagram that you want of the way that you're supposed to pack a backpack. And they have the kind of like transparent diagrams of what goes where I think what you ultimately realize is that it all comes down to how you use your stuff throughout the day. And you ultimately definitely want to, put, you know, heavier items down near your waist belt and get them closer to your body than further away. That will definitely help. But what it's going to come down to is what do you take out and use throughout the day? You're not really going to worry about where that stuff is. You're going to be worried about how can I get to it easiest? And if it's, if that means it's on the front pouch of your backpack furthest away from your back, but maybe it's a little bit of a heavy item, it's probably where it's going to sit because it's going to be the easiest to get to. Sure. Yeah. So that was, I think that was one of the big, you know, after the first trip, that's where I really learned. Keep this stuff in your brain and use the sides. Um, and use that kind of open pouch that you can get to without taking off the top and, and getting in there. Yeah. And just thinking about like, you know, where you put your rain cover, where do you put your rain pants or your rain jacket? Are they easy to get to without having to t- take off a bunch of other items? You know, one of the, the things that was a pain in the ass when we went to Rocky Mountain was that was my first experience with a bear can. And the pack that I carry Those is, weigh a lot. <laughs> they're canister. a pain in the ass. I, know. I, I will say this. I have like a love-hate relationship with bear cans. Oh, I think that they're, they're really good at what they're designed for, right? Like they will keep animals out of your damn food. They will keep your food safe. If a, it, the worst thing that will happen is that if a big ass animal finds it, they might kick it somewhere far enough away that you just lose it all together. And in which case you're in trouble. Like, yeah. Hike out. Sorry. You're going to be hungry. Um, but 
you know, I have the Ursac. I don't know if you've ever played around with one of those things. I'll show you some crap before we leave, but um, I have this thing called an Ursac, and it's U R S A K for anybody out there listening that wants to know. Um, and it's basically a Kevlar hashtag ba- Ursac. <laughs> Hashtag Yersack. Um, it's Nor it's Nordic, so it's Yersack. Um, and it's uh, it is basically a Kevlar bag with like a heavy duty rope and you can put all your food in it, you suck the the kind of cinch part of it real tight and then you can tie it using square knots around a tree and so you don't have to hang it like 30 feet in the air it's been approved by the united states grizzly bear association or something like that sounds like a good alternative what it hasn't done is it hasn't passed any of the efficacy tests at the national parks so you can't use them wherever they require like bear cans Got it. So you can't use them at Yosemite. And you have to have trees And, and you have to have a tree yeah. or something to tie it to so that something doesn't run off with it because it doesn't, it's not slippery. So like a raccoon could grab it and run with it if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, that's the downside. So yeah, if you were in the boulder field or something like that in Colorado, might not be as good of a solution. Right. Yeah, but you could also like pile rocks on top of it if you wanted to. Yeah. I feel like the canisters work better when you have three or four people because you're putting mm-hmm. more stuff in there and one person can carry it and another person yeah. can take other stuff. But when you're like two, uh canister is is tough to kind of add that extra weight when you can't yeah. spread out as much across so as like many people. Bear Vault, for example, makes a smaller size. They mm-hmm. make a personal one, mm-hmm. the BV450. Um, we have one of those. and Wish they came down in price a little bit. Yeah, they're not <laughs> much cheaper than the big one. That was kind of a pain in the yeah. ass. Um, but if you were just a guy that was going on like a four-day trip or something. Yeah, I know they make. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Um and quite frankly, Sarah and I used the smaller one when we were in Yosemite because although we were there for five days, we did two three-day, two-night trips instead of um, a bunch of, you know, instead of one big longer trip. So we restocked in the middle. Oh, okay. We took a night off. We went out. We took showers, got a hotel, grabbed some pizza and beer, stuff like that, and then went back in and did some more camping. It's good, actually. It was a good plan. I liked yeah. it. How good is that? We have to talk about it. how good is that post meal. Oh, after? it's the best thing ever. <laughs> I know, uh, right, Sarah? So I remember like almost <laughs> every one of my you know meals yeah. afterwards. <laughs> so when Sarah and I went to Rocky, we got beat up pretty hard. Like Sarah got altitude sickness pretty bad. I the, just the rain and tr- I carried all the food and I just wasn't really ready for it. I'd done a lot of Missouri backpacking, but you know, obviously it doesn't prepare you. No, the switchbacks and, and everything. And we hadn't, I mean, it just had rained and I was tired and I was wet and I was cold and we had rented a Airbnb in Boulder and it was the coolest place. The woman that we rented it from is a rock and roll photographer. So she had all these like cool artwork all over the place and she had like, you know, a record player and a bunch of Prince albums. It was just a cool place. And it it was a two bedroom place. And we got there and we took showers, which was just the best. And then we were going to take a nap before dinner. And Sarah's like, I'm sorry, but you're just sleeping in the other room tonight. I'm, I want my bed to myself. I want a whole queen size bed. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair. And then we went out to a burger place, uh, mountain sun brewing company in downtown Boulder. Best burger I've ever eaten. Some Ugh. of the best beer I've ever drank. Easily the best service of any restaurant I've ever been to in my life. Other than like Tony's, um, which for anybody that's not from St. Louis, that's like a, a person, five-star restaurant downtown, like Italian place. Um, But 
this place was just like everything I wanted it to be. And I was questioning whether it was just the euphoria of coming off of a camp trip that made it that good. And then Sarah and I were just out in Colorado like a month ago and we went back and it was as good and we were not coming off a backpacking trip. And I was like, all right, you guys are good. <laughs> you guys are really, restaurant. really good. Uh, one of my favorite places to eat in the whole, whole country, Mountain Sun Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. If anybody's up there, check them out. They're fantastic. Man, you um, got to start charging for these, uh, these little shout outs here. <laughs> Tony's little, little not- reads throughout little reads. Um, so, okay. So you guys went to Wyoming and did your first trip. And then you kind of learned some lessons, suffered some some struggles throughout that trip. Yeah. Um, what were the biggest changes that you made kind of gear-wise from that trip to the next? And where was your next trip and kind of what happened there? Yeah, the I'd say the next two memorable trips after that that were longer trips, not just like one night yeah. or, or something like that, were uh, did the Pacific Northwest, so uh, Olympic National Park. Oh, cool. Um, in that area. And then the year after that, maybe it was two years after did a saw sawtooth um in idaho yeah um which was really cool both places that i very much want to go do (laughs) hey you want to go back for sure for sure (laughs) um really you know enjoyed both of them um and yeah i think you know definitely less clothes for sure like you just you don't really need that much you can rewear it yeah um better layering um better decision making with just one jacket or or one thing yeah. you know in terms of keeping things simple uh also compressing things better i think to save space um, and then, you know, I think a lot of it was ex- accessories too. What was you the know? weather like on these various trips? Was it cold? Was it warm? What were, what were your kind of ranges? Yeah, Do you overall remember? it was, I'd say warm during the day, chilly at night, cool. you know, where you could wear long underwear at night. Um, and you know, maybe in the morning, I remember on one, a few of the trips you'd need your puffy jacket, but, um, so you know, probably like lows in the forties or something like that. Yeah, Nothing say, like yeah, crazy. the mornings being chilly or maybe a little bit at you know, the sleeping bag's warm enough and gotcha. you know, got one of those cocoon things. Sure. So um, you know, got smarter with that, not needing as much layers when you're kinda sleeping and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, warm during the day, definitely shorts and tea. And then um, at night, you know, you want to put on another layer and also kind of protect from the bugs if there are any and stuff like that. And maybe need a puffy in the morning. Were you sharing a tent with other guys? Were you doing solo tents? How how, were Uh, you Sharing a tent. Yeah. Um, You know, it's I think it's easy when you can share the weight and share the load, um, you know, because then if you're in a group of three is tough because someone's going to need to bring their own tent. But I still think three is better than two because you only need one set of dishes and you're able to spread that out more. Um, But yeah, shared tents uh, and done four, three and two um, in in all those trips for, for people and stuff. So I think two works well, three works well, other than you're adding the extra tent. Gotcha. Um, and I think four is a good number as well, just because it's harder pace wise, um, you know, cause you got more variables, but when you're doing these trips, are you guys spreading out considerably throughout the day? Or are you staying pretty tight? No, we stay group? tight pretty and tight. keep each other to, together. And, gotcha. Um, you know, I think that's, what's hard. You know, one thing I learned too is, you know, obviously ideally you like to train up for these trips, you know, do some hill runs at Art Hill mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So you're getting your legs in shape yeah, and, that helps and a lot. it's the, I mean, those days are long too, when you're hiking in and stuff like that. And you can't, you can't simulate that weight No, um, for that long. Although I will say this, I was at, I used to be a member of Gold's Gym out in West County 
And I was out there one morning and I used to just live on those step mill things, you know, the, the Stairmaster thing. And there was a Jacob's ladder next to, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things, but it's basically just like a bunch of bars that you climb and it's just a climbing treadmill essentially. Yeah. This guy okay. walks up and he's got like a black tube on his back with shoulder straps and starts doing the Jacob's ladder and this guy's shredded. And I was like, 50 pounds. On what is this dude doing? And then all of a sudden I realized, Oh, it's a weighted backpack yeah. and it was just a tube of sand on his back. And the guy had written a book of firefighter fitness. Um, and he was a, a ex firefighter that had turned to training as a personal trainer, fire departments that could help them get in better shape. And he just goes from department to department to department. Then he wrote a book on how to do it. And some company had sent him one of these and, and it was made out of all fire hose material. So it was designed to simulate the oxygen tanks that they carry. And I was sitting there going like, oh, that's a really similar style to a backpack yeah. that I could wear. And Did the dude goes, one? do you want to try it? And I was like, yeah, sure do. And he gave it to me. It was 40 pounds, which was about how much my first backpack weighed with full gear and water and all that stuff. And it was exactly like putting on my first pack. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I got back up on the step mill and I was used to doing like, you know, 130, 140 floors probably takes close to like 45 minutes or something like that. I got through eight or 10 flights and was just crushed. Couldn't move anymore. I was like, oh, this would be neat to have. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's I the exact kind of training. It, and it you... was like 200 bucks. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to spend that much on a training tool. But it was, yeah, you, you, it definitely helps to prepare. Yeah. And I think, you know, always leading up to trips, you get work gets busy, stuff gets busy. Sure. You're never as prepared. And I've never been as prepared as I would like to be, but sometimes you just gotta, you know, I think back from, you know, days of playing sports and everything, I know we're not always going to be as young as we are right now, but sure. uh, sometimes you just gotta get into it. And, yeah. you know, that's where sometimes if you can arrange a few day hikes uh, before your big trek, like on the front end, you get acclimated to everything, you get up, yeah. your legs in shape. Maybe you're, you're carrying 10, 15 pounds, which is a little better than nothing. Than nothing. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that'll help. But, uh, you know, I think that's been definitely something that I wish, uh, you know, I feel I would feel better prepared and like the journeys would have been better. Yeah. Um, along the way. Did you manage the logistics of reservations and permits and things like that on your trips or did somebody else manage that stuff? Um, luck. I don't think I've managed it too much. I know one in Idaho. I don't think we needed permits or we just yeah, kind of so went sawtooth wilderness anytime that you're in a national wilderness the advantage is that you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want and again i use a lot of bro science a lot of bro facts on this podcast so if i'm wrong someone tell me that i'm wrong um but to my knowledge within a national wilderness as long as you're not like degrading the territory doing damage to the land or animals and you're leaving it as good as you found it you can pretty much do the whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, I kind of get, that's the feeling you can camp there. You can RV park there. There's lots of things that you can do. So it's not nearly as tight as like a national park or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there How was Olympia when you guys went, was that tough to get in and do things or no, was it, what, you know, I think we, we didn't plan as much other than in that, that trip we did, a, you know, we did one backpacking trip. that was a couple nights 
And then the rest, we just kind of car camped mm-hmm. um, and lake camped. But oh, gotcha. I think what was helpful for that is we did need to make some reservations mm-hmm. at campsites along the way. And so that that was helpful, kind of keeps you on a schedule. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I guess took some logistics and planning and stuff like that. But um, and then I didn't do much of the Wyoming stuff. But, uh, you know, we had all done enough research and planned it. You know, that one we probably overplanned. Yeah. Um, in a way, but it was probably also because it was our first trip for a yeah. lot of us and a big trip. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't do too much on that one, but, um, Olympia, I think I remember, you know, I definitely remember going to a, you know, you stop in a few Rangers stations yeah. and could we have been a tad more efficient if we had <laughs> planned ahead of time? Yeah. Sure. But it didn't end up being a big, big yeah. barrier. It's one of the things that's been really interesting. And, and I kind of like one of my lifetime missions or goals is going to be, to make so much money that I can donate a better platform to the national parks department to get their shit together when it comes to educating people on what you can, can't do what you have to get in place ahead of time, what the deadlines are and when you need to do things. They need like an app. It's, it's terrible. And again, I've said it on this before. I'll say it again. I don't think it's their fault. I think the national parks departments are underfunded. I think that they're understaffed. I don't think that they have that kind of focus. And one of the statistics that I always share is that when Sarah and I went to Yosemite, uh, which unfortunately right now is closed to my knowledge because of all the forest fires we got really lucky we were there in may and sarah was like we're going in early spring it's when it's perfect and i was like i think the summer's really nice and she was like no we're going early spring had we gone with mine we probably wouldn't have gotten to go so you gotta have backup uh, plans with with some of these yeah that's a huge thing is don't get so married to any one plan that you're going to be doing, any spot you're going to see, any overlook, whatever. There's so many things that can get in the way. Um, So when we went to Yosemite, one of the things that we realized is that it's just, there's a lot of difference from park to park and from wilderness to forest and park and all those things. Uh, In Rocky Mountain, you had to be, every campsite you were going to stay at was reserved for a specific night and there was only so many people and you had to stay specifically close to this stake. You had to do this and it was very tightly regulated. When you go to Yosemite, it's more, there's just big wilderness areas that essentially you have to get so far outside of the valley, which everybody is like down in this bathtub floor, right? And then as you backpack, you're essentially climbing one of those walls of the bathtub in one way or a direction or the other. And you kind of got to get up and over the edge to be in what they would call the wilderness area in one direction or another to be able to camp and backpack camp where you don't have to reserve a, a site. And so there's no reserved campsites for backpackers in Yosemite. If there's 5 million people a year that go there, there's only 70,000 backpackers. So we represent about 1.4% of the total populace that show up. And on top of that, we probably spend the least money. So are they going to focus a ton of efforts making sure we're well communicated to and educated or are they going to focus on the 98% of people that are booking hotels and lodges and spending money in the restaurants and things like that. Yeah. So I get it. I'm not here to bitch about the national parks. I get it's tough, but it could be a lot better. It could be a lot better. Yeah. And that's where I don't, you know, I, 
I hadn't had, you know, most of the parks I went to seemed a little bit more manageable mm -hmm. um, and a little more isolated. And then this past summer, I went to Zion for a few days, just did one big overnight and the rest was just car camping. But uh, that place was a zoo. Really? I mean, some of the day hikes and everything. I mean, it felt like I was at Disney World oh, yeah. or something like that. And I think I've realized for myself, uh, definitely going to try to avoid the, some of those larger crowds. parks unless it's a unique situation or uh you know maybe it's a time where i know it won't be crowded or yeah. something but i like kind of the smaller isolated uh areas where you can kind of yeah be out a little bit yeah the the big ones i will say i mean I, we've been to i've been to three in the last two years um rocky mountain yosemite and then i also went to everglades national park with my buddy sean in florida right um which that was a super weird scenario because we were down there you'll be worried about gators there well right? no here's the weird thing is that yeah you do and we saw a couple we photographed them videoed <laughs> them all of them and they're just hanging out um but they move so slowly um we were there and i can give you the specific dates it was january 17th through the 21st of this year and that was during the government shutdown so there was nobody working at the park but it was open so it was just unmanned nobody there no one to do anything how it, so you were able to camp without without it being swampy and everything there was oh yeah yeah i mean there's okay. big huge dry tracks of well i mean infrastructure and buildings and all kinds of stuff yeah man those um, alligators are a different variable though but yeah 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 <laughs> for sure right um i don't know how many people i it would be interesting to know how many people a year get gotten uh by alligators because i know i and I, again correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure about 16 people a year die at yosemite oh wow uh and three died within two weeks of us leaving we left on a friday and somebody died on monday and then some two other people died like two weeks later uh two climbers and then somebody that was just climbing up half dome the the side you're supposed to climb up but they went on a rain day when you're not supposed to uh, half dome the, the path that you are hiking not the path that you're climbing the path that you are hiking if it rains you are not allowed to go uh, because people slip and die every year and somebody ignored the rules and slipped and died and the yeah. next day it's like business as usual because uh, it's like yeah well this happens moving on uh, so I'm sure like I'd be curious to know like how many people get grabbed by alligators in in uh everglades but um it was cool because we may or may not have driven quite briskly through the uh streets of that national park because there was just nobody as far as the eye could see um in just marshland wide open now obviously you have animals to to be aware of and things like that so it was may or may not have been for a very short period of time but it was quite fun yeah What's next on your list? So places to go. So Sarah and I are trying to do like one big national park a year. And then I'm trying to knock off a bunch of other kind of random hikes along the way. So um, coming up in probably the next month or so, I really want to get over to the Red River Gorge in Kentucky. Largest 
presence of natural rock arches east of the Rockies. Oh, wow. Uh, and there's these huge, big, giant arch rock formations. Really cool. There's hundreds of miles of trail in this wilderness area um, and dozens and dozens of backcountry campsites. Um, it gets populated, so it's kind of like get there earlier or later. Um, so I will probably try and get out there sooner than later. Um, and then... It's pu- populated as the winter goes yeah, on just because it's a I warmer think like climate? right into the nice part of the spring. Okay. It'll get real popular. And then and it gets then, too hot. I think it'll get too hot as it is now. And then I think in the fall, it's probably very, very populated place. Um, And then I really want to do the Maroon Bells out in Aspen. Um, It's a 28 mile four day. Most people do it in four days, three nights. So it's like seven, eight miles a day. It's four major passes. So it's a a four pass loop is what they call it. Um, But it's. 8,000 feet of elevation gain over those four days. So it's like 2,000 feet a day every day for four days. Oh, wow. So it's just like, whoop. Yeah, I've never done any Colorado camping. I think something I definitely need to make sure I do. You should join me on the Maroon Bells. I mean, it's like one of the most beautiful places in America, I think. When are you going? Haven't decided yet. I would love to knock it out before the end of the year if it's possible, but I also recognize that that's like a seven-day thing. Because by the time you travel and get acclimated and do a four day trip and come back, ideally more in summer or like I'd love spring to go fall. like like late September, early October, but I don't think it's in the cards this year. Yeah, um, I've got a, a conference that always falls kind of sometime in the month of September that will prevent. That'd be a good summer spot though, it. too. Just yeah. being that high up. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it gets real popular in the summer. Um, but I think like if the, ideally what you'd love to do is fly out on like a Sunday night or a Monday, hang out in Denver for a day, drive over to Aspen, hang out in Aspen for a day, get up and do your trip and then like drive to the airport and fly home. Um, get acclimated to the, it's a a six, five, six, seven day thing. I think it's a six, seven day thing. The hike though is just four Four days, three nights. Okay. But yeah, I think I you need a yeah, couple like, days oh, of yeah, elevation yeah. acclimation before, especially if you're going to do that much climbing, you need a couple days. Oh, for sure. So, um, you know, luckily, I don't know about you, but, you know, we've got friends, um, you know, Adam lives out there uh, <laughs> uh, and and Petey lives out there. And yeah, so Adam, every time I'm out there, I'm always out there. hitting those guys up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so is uh, a, a dude from my grade school that I need to connect with that does a bunch of stuff out there. Okay. Um, Josh Resnick just moved out there, too. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I follow him on uh, the duck char. Yeah. The I duck love man. their, their stuff shout and out. his, his stuff on Instagram is fantastic. Have you ordered the duck? I, you know, every time I hit him up, I'm always like, Hey, where are you guys selling it now? And they're like, I think it's Bowman's or something like that. And I'm always like, Oh, I'm going to stop by there today. And then I always forget. You can, or- I think you could order it direct. I think you can order it yeah. online. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know duck char, yeah. uh, follow him on Instagram and check out their website. It's a, a cool company started by some buddies of ours, um, that actually sell duck breast directly to your door and it's really good looking stuff yeah it's good from what i can see online and i just being a guy in communications and marketing i think one of the most important things today is for companies to make it easier for people to feel comfortable buying their product and using their product and i feel like those guys do such a good job showing you all the different ways to use their product how to prepare their product 
what it's good for the different occasions and uh, they do such a good job with their brand I'm, I'm very impressed by what they do yeah so a little shout out to those guys um so yeah and then like bigger trips sarah has been to glacier but i think we both that's really on my want list. to go back there that's on um, my hot list she's pushing hard for that to be our next one so it's it's maybe glacier or zion um I would really like to do something in the Grand Canyon, but I haven't done enough looking to kind of see what part of the year is best That's and what not, I would want to do. I feel like do. Zion and I haven't been to Grand Canyon, but I w- you can get away with going really late in the fall yeah. or really early in the spring and you'll avoid, I think, more of the masses because summer is busy there and then the temperature's not that bad because sure. you're pretty far south. Gotcha. Yeah, and then uh, quite honestly, there's a huge part of the East Coast that I'm yeah, really we interested about in. Smokies and Appalachia. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested in that. There's some stuff up in like New Hampshire, the the uh, White Mountains, and that kind of whole uh, presidential range with like Mount Adams and Mount Washington stuff like that. Uh, I'm really interested in the only the the danger in that. Is that I know at least with like Mount Washington, I think that's the mountain. It's it might be the worst weather in the United States, and they have these just massive swings where it can get really ugly really fast, and people die there every year. Uh, And they flat out say like, if the weather is not looking good, turn around, yeah, uh, because you'll die. Uh, And I've got I've watched some videos of some guys on YouTube. Uh, There's a dude named Syntax seventy seven that does a bunch of of camping in that area. And it looks beautiful, and the passes are great, and the altitude's cool. It looks like some really challenging climbs, but when you know you have limited time and you got to fit it in a window, you know I'm taking this week off. I got to tell my clients two months in advance, make sure all my work's done and accounted for, and that we're not having an event and stuff like that. When I fit it into those windows, if I show up and then all of a sudden the weather turns, I might be sitting at a Ramada Inn or a you know a Holiday Inn Express in you know New Hampshire for seven days, and then all of a sudden be sitting back in a in an airport on the way home. So yeah, that's I think the hesitation. The, that's what makes it tough is that I think you really need for most of these trips you need a solid week. You need a few yeah. days on the front end. You know, then you have your four days, three nights, um, and then you need a day or two to you know get that first burger yeah, um, and enjoy yourself, get a good night's sleep. And then maybe you leave the next, you know, yeah. you always want to give yourself more time. Yeah. You don't want but, to bolt that same day that you're coming off oh, the mountain. That'd that be a rough, yeah. I mean, you're going to fall asleep and pass out on the plane home. When so you that's just don't fine, know what's going to happen yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't want to be putting that much pressure on yourself to get those trips knocked out. The whole point is to be there and have fun. So exactly, yeah. that's one of the things that I need to make a video. Unfortunately, my my dog passed away in the middle of our trip in Colorado, and I was really amped to make like a very thorough video about that trip. And so I have tons of footage from like the first three days, and then it happened, and I kind of just like cut out after that and didn't film for three or four days. But um, one of the things that would be kind of the theme of that video, if I was going to make one, is don't put so much stuff in your trip that you feel miserable if you don't get to all of it because inevitably you're not going to. Um, we were on our way from Denver to Breckenridge and you know, for anybody that's made that drive, it's a two lane each way highway and it's separated by a, you know, couple hundred yards of, of gulch type median. I mean, it's not even connected. Um, and a semi truck flipped over in, 
our two lanes. So the highway came to a grinding halt for two and a half hours. Yeah. So, you know, we were going to book a, a horseback riding lesson in the morning one day and we ended up doing it in the afternoon. Had it been in the morning, we might not have made it, you know, because we just didn't give ourselves enough time to kind of like move from area to area. Things come up, you pop tires, you, you know, you on our way home, my, my friend Jason was really kind. Uh, I drive a, a car and Sarah drives a car and it was, we drove to Colorado with a lot of camping stuff and it would have been a lot to fit in our car. We were carrying way too much crap as I always do. And, um, my buddy Jason just was really, really nice and said, dude, just take my Jeep, give me your car for the week, throw me some money and we'll figure it out. And I was like, okay, cool. So I essentially like very, very inexpensively rented his Jeep from him. Yeah. A couple of days worth of car rental is what I ended up doing. And on the way home, I popped a flat tire or we started to lose pressure. I pull over, called him just screaming my head off because I couldn't find the spare tire. And you mother, and you don't, you don't leave me with a spare tire. You got these blah, blah, blah. Turns out that that particular Jeep doesn't come with a spare tire. And Sarah told me about two seconds after I hung up with him. So I had to call him back and really apologize. Uh, five hours Sorry, later after a, you know, $200 tow to a small town in, in Colorado. And luckily we were close to a Jeep dealership, but they were expensive tires and all that stuff later, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And many, many hours later, uh, we were planning to have dinner with my buddy in Kansas city that night. That's my colleague. Um, one of my better friends, and we didn't end up making it into his house till 11 o'clock that night. And so sometimes you just kind of have to give yourself some time, roll with it a little bit, and just recognize it's okay to do a little bit less. Give yourself a little bit more time. And, and quite frankly, we were never upset because we always had enough time. Uh, when we got in traffic, although it was annoying, we just sat there and listened to a podcast and had fun and told stories. And, you know, we weren't in a rush to be anywhere. So that was important. Yeah. And I think it it's fun too, you know, when you start going with some of the same people, kind of trip after trip, you build some of these memories, that camarader, oh, yeah. you know, that same camaraderie and from sports and everything and memories and laughs and, you know, even going out in some of these towns, like the night after when you get back <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, good stories and, you know, you feel accomplished. Oh yeah. I mean, afterwards. I, thinking about, you know, the float trip and some of the things that have happened on our float trips, right? I mean, there's never going to be a float trip where Julich doesn't get asked about the fire. Yeah. There's never going to be a, a float trip that I don't get asked about the fire. There's yeah. never going to be a float trip where Al doesn't get asked about passing out in his canoe. Chris. And floating down the, the river. Yeah, exactly. Everything that's happened, yeah. um, you know, is always going to kind of live on from year to year. And that's what makes it, quite frankly, more fun than anything else. Um, <laughs> you forgot Nate's, Nate's sleeping bags. And, oh, and my that. God. This is my fault. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. those have always been. And quite frankly, like I said, that's what really triggered me getting back into the woods. And I've talked about this before, but one of the big things for me is and you know i'm sure this is true in your world there's such a difference between the way that the world worked when our parents were in the working world and when we're in the working world um you know it, it never turns off your cell phone's always on i don't know about you but you know we're always my colleagues my boss and and clients and everybody are always 
hey, what about this? Did you ask that? Did you follow up with this? You know, everybody's just talking to each other to get it off their plate and back into the other person's court so they can check their to-do list off, zero out their inbox, whatever it may be. Uh, And there's also an enormous pressure to be contributing, you know, to the world, publishing things on LinkedIn or, or, you know, sharing things on Facebook or texting your friends things. Make sure you're still in the circle or still in the loop. Totally agree. The first float trip that we went on, it was about halfway through the first day that it clicked. It was like, I couldn't turn my cell phone on right now if I wanted to. There's not an ounce of service out here, so I can just stop thinking about it for the next 12, 14 hours. It's funny you say that. It's one of my favorite parts about some of these trips where, again, you don't get service anyway. Is two, three days without a cell phone. Oh, my God. The best. It's so restorative. Yeah. uh, To just your kind of inner being. And it... It gives you time to just think about stuff that you want to think about without the manic kind of um, buzz of the next notification or the next text message or somebody else reminding you to go some other direction from what you were thinking about. Um, I I've, Some of the best trips that I've been on, although I love going with my friends, have been solo trips, uh, which if you haven't done many of those, I would encourage you to try one out. Uh, it's Freaks you out a little bit at times. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I'd handle that. The first time I was laying in my hammock in the woods alone, there was this very kind of sobering reality that if something comes along, whether it be beast or man, I'm out here on my own. And, you know, there's nobody out here to do anything for me. There's no police to call. There's no fire, you know, fire department. There's nothing. That's humbling and also empowering. Uh, at the same time, if you get through it, which inevitably you will, um, then you realize, like, you know what? I'm going to be fine. The world's maybe not as scary a place as I made it out to be in the first place. Uh, the first time I did it, I was at a campsite, and this I was sitting there at like 6 o'clock at night. It's bright as day out. I'm sitting in my hammock. I've got video of it, just kind of not knowing what to do at that point. Didn't have a podcast or anything with me, and I'm just sitting there. And all of a sudden, about nine o'clock at night, just before it got dark, I start to hear voices and a Boy Scout troop rolls through and Boy Scout troop rolls in and they um, all kind of start to set up. And this one kid just does not want to be there. (laughs) And he starts screaming at the top of his lungs in the middle of the woods. I want to go home. I mean, just losing it. And the, the. troop leaders finally get them under control everything's cool and they they have some other kids that are setting up and these kids literally set up an a-frame tarp and they put a tarp on the ground and then they just laid out their sleeping bags and bed rolls or or you know mats and just laid down and i was like oh you don't even have a tent you're just cowboy camping it <laughs> sweet uh and they were like 10 and i went well, if they can do it, I'll be fine. If they're not scared, I probably shouldn't be scared. And then in the middle of the night, raccoon came up to about six feet away from my tent and was going for my food that I had hanging behind my hammock, thinking everything would be fine. And he'd already gotten something out of my bag and was running away. Uh, and I, hey, you know, and he kind of shot up in the morning. But yeah, they're out there. There's stuff out there. But it's going to be okay. It'll yeah. be fine. Uh, but it's... Giving yourself six hours to think about something without any interruptions is a weird thing these days. Yeah. 
I mean, you can really let the mind wander in that kind of timeline with no one to talk to. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's you kind of yeah. daydream if you got a business idea that you want to flush out, think through some options. It, it's a good one. So of the stuff that you've gotten, it's kind of a little transition here of this, of the gear that you have of that stuff. What are you happiest with? What are the things that you're like, man, I really like this thing. I don't want to replace it. I'm good with it. And or what are the things that are plaguing you the most that you wish you could replace tomorrow? Yeah, I think if start. Any. Start with the uh, plague stuff. That's easier. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Definitely w- want to get one of those lightweight tents. I know it's okay. a big investment, but I don't even have one right now. But um, definitely, now when you say lightweight, are you referring to like two to four pound tents? That okay, are two so person. and are you talking about a uh, freestanding tent that comes with poles? Are you talking about using hiking poles to hold it up with poles? With poles. Okay, yeah. so freestanding one of those, tent, like Big Agnes. Or, gotcha. You know, so one a of those. nice backpacking tent. Yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely first on my wish wish list, but obviously a big investment. Sure. Um, what what, the, what does something like that run these days? I haven't looked at tents in so long. Gosh, I think they're like two to four hundred bucks. Okay, easy. so they're expensive. Three yeah. to four hundred. Yeah, yeah. And then you probably want to get a tarp underneath because it's the, a the, lighter weight material yeah. and it's thin because it's lightweight, so that you're not tearing it. Yeah, and stuff like that. So I'll share a little secret with you there. Um, if you are ever near a job site or if you're ever near a contractor, I got a buddy that's sending me some, so I'll just give you some. Um, Tyvek is the vapor barrier that you see when people are putting up houses. It goes between like the framing and then whatever the outside of the house is going to be, brick or stone or whatever. Um, And it's this, I'll show you some, I've got some in the basement. Uh, It's this kind of real lightweight, plasticky feeling material, but it's really puncture resistant. So if you're ever on, um, you know, a, a campsite that's got little, you know, undergrowth and little trees and things kind of growing up, they make a really good footprint without having to spend, you know, 40, 50 bucks, like some of the big Agnes companies and stuff like that charge. I think, oh, okay. I think the footprints in my experience back when I got mine from REI, I think a footprint was like 35 or 40 bucks yeah, for one of those right. nicer yep, tents. That's about right. So yeah, yeah. Could be a way to save some money. Yeah. And then um, definitely want to get one of those like nested pot things, you know, that like you have your thing that can boil water, then you nest in your bowl. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Definitely need to do that. Um, So now, okay, let me ask you this. When you're cooking meals, are you doing mainly dehydrated meals or are you doing a bunch of other stuff too? You know, I've done both. I've done one, you know, one or two where you're just purely dehydrated meals and then done another. Are you making those in the bag or are you eating those in another vessel? Those were making in the bag and eating out of the bag. No. And then eating out of, you know, each, everyone has a bowl. Gotcha. Um, you know, that same bowl is what you use everything for. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but then other times, you know, we've like made case, you know, we brought a little cheese and Mm -hmm. we usually, you know, a few times we've brought quesadillas in the bear bin, um, that you can use for peanut butter and gel or peanut butter case and honey quesadillas for lunch. And then also, um, can make cheese quesadillas for, for dinner. So I've done stuff like that. And then, yeah, I'd say mainly then, you know, trying to pair that with a side or something. I'll tell you this, doing a uh, either backpacker's pantry or um, I know that like Mountain House has a couple of them too, but I think backpacker's pantry, it's either them or Mountain Air, one of the other ones that they sell at all the stores, uh, does like um, 
like a key lime or a lime rice cilantro kind of burrito bowl. Ooh. Make one of those dehydrated meals and then put that into tortillas. Make that a burrito sounds, out of it. Ooh, that sounds good. Uh, and then also the other option to do would be to take the Mountain House breakfast hash skillet which has like hash browns and eggs and bacon and stuff. Same thing. Put, Put that in. in a tortilla. Ooh, that's a good idea. hot sauce and some cheese in the morning. It makes a real nice breakfast burrito. Yeah, that sounds, that and, sounds awesome. And you inevitably, when you do that, you don't have to clean your bowl because you've used the tortilla. So in the morning, yeah. when you just kind of want to get rolling. That's a good idea. Using a tortilla instead of your bowl is kind of nice. I yeah. got away from doing mostly cooked breakfasts on mornings. Just because I got tired of cleaning shit up. Yeah. Usually in the mornings, I feel like did oatmeal every day. Gotcha. So just, still I would even just, you know, buy a few of those Quaker things, dump them in a Ziploc yeah. bag. So you just have one supply of, yeah. of oatmeal yeah. for the for the trip. And then always try to do a mac and cheese one. Get the craft shapes are always better. They absorb the cheese better. <laughs> SpongeBob, you know, Star Wars. And Dang then it. dump, you know, like four of those in a, a container gotcha. and then use that. Um you know, do that one night as well. Now, do you do anything? Because I know that like a, uh, a craft meal will call for a milk or a margarine. Are you satisfying that with a powdered milk or are you just foregoing it altogether? So I've done both. I've used water. Yeah. Or I've also, you know, like those little like uh, half and half things. Oh, a coffee creamer. Yeah. So just Ooh, that's use, a bring move. one of those I've, I've brought. And then, um, you know, the little butters at the table or stuff yeah. like that. But you got to be careful with some of that stuff. But if you have a bear bin and, you, you know, they're like this big, yeah. you can squeeze a few in there. Yeah. It's, you know, it doesn't fix the situation i'm needing this much milk and you know that much butter but it's better than nothing yeah the uh one of the disagreements that sarah and i had when we did a rocky mountain trip was that i wanted to bring justin's almond butter packets uh mm. you know the little thin kind of little single use packets that that's they a good sell. idea actually they're, they're, it's a really good idea yeah she wanted the cups of jiff and I've never seen my, they make like little uh, single pack cups. They sell them in like four pack sleeves, uh, but they're like about a bit, about as probably two inches across and they're probably about an inch deep and it's the right amount for a sandwich. Um, but we were accounting for like, I think two days of peanut butter sandwiches and I kind of go heavy on peanut butter. So yeah, I went like, like 40 of those. I think I went three <laughs> cups for me and two cups for her. So it was like five cups of peanut butter. And then even when it was gone, those cups take up a lot of room because they still don't, even if you stack them, they don't like take, they don't crunch yeah. very well. So I was silently furious. There was like two or three things in our bear can of food that I was carrying throughout the trip that I was just like silently boiling inside that I was carrying those because I was like, they should be yeah. Justin's packets. <laughs> Peanut butter is always tough. You know how you pack it. Like mm -hmm. I remember our first trip, we put it in like one of those things that you'd put glue in or something, you know, or like a, a ketchup bottle really? or something. You know, Al had some contraction. It was, it was a little tough, but I, you know, I've found, and you don't want to obviously bring the whole, the whole jar, but usually what try to do is maybe even avoid bringing the peanut butter, remake yeah. some of the sandwiches and add the honey later. That's a little lighter yep. and you don't need as much. Um, you know, sometimes, yeah, your, your quesadillas get a little soggy or stuff like that, yeah. but it, 
you know, it's always messy making those sandwiches and a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, and it's easier to do when you're laid out in a table or something like that. Have you ever experienced the phenomenon that is the ramen bomb? I didn't realize I was putting phenomenon before ramen bomb and that was all going to rhyme. I did not mean to do that. So I apologize. Uh, so you make uh, a phenomena bomb, a, pho- a phenomena bomb. <laughs> uh, you make, a normal packet of ramen with two cups of water just like you normally would. Uh, You add your flavor just like you normally would. And then essentially you add to taste instant mashed potatoes to the mix. So you're essentially soaking up all the extra liquid by making it mashed potatoes and you end up with a giant pile of carbohydrates. That sounds awesome. So you have have a ramen soup. Yep. And then you put in the mix which then... Flows up the potatoes. Yep. And you basically just end up with a big bowl of like garlicky, mushy mess of ramen and potato. Oh, that sounds great. And it's an unbelievable good dinner. Flavor with hot sauce, maybe? Whatever you're fancy. Uh, (laughs) Have you come across Packet Gourmet, by the way? No. All right, we'll go ahead and do a little read for Packet Gourmet here. Uh, Packet (laughs) Gourmet. So if you're tired of going to the store and finding all this, no. Um, So one of the things that you find as you backpack is, especially when you have limited stores in your area i can only imagine people that live in like rural illinois i would imagine you pretty just have to buy everything online Uh, we're lucky that we've got a couple of locations at the alpine shop and rei and other stores that sell this stuff but uh, you inevitably run out of dehydrated meals that you like and or the variety gets old pretty quick yeah so you start finding other manufacturers well there's a company online they only sell online to my knowledge i don't think they're in any stores called packet gourmet and it's P-A-C-K-E-T. Yeah. Maybe? No, P-A-C-K-I-T. Gourmet, like pack it. Gourmet. A uh, little play on the term. Uh, and they make really good dehydrated meals. Their Texas State Fair chili is the best dehydrated chili you're ever going to find. Oh, man, I got to um, try this. And I'll show you some of their stuff. I have a few of their meals inside. But they sell a lot of really good um, daytime options. So they'll sell like... Uh, chicken salad that you just add like a cup of cold water to and it rehydrates while you're walking in your bag with cold water and then you put it on some tortillas and now you got a chicken salad tortilla that sounds great on the road with no weight yeah right because you're not it's dehydrated they've got um uh, uh, what are the what's the one that I also really like they have a oh this is why I got on it ramen rescue they have their cheapest de- meal option uh, is, and they're in the same price range, seven to 10 bucks for most of their meals. Um, they have a packet called Ramen Rescue, which is basically extra seasonings and a bunch of vegetables. And then you can add chicken to it to add to ramen. So you end up with like green beans and yeah. corn and, and green peppers and red peppers and a bunch of good stuff that makes ramen feel more like an actual meal than just like a shitty piece of noodle. Um, making me hungry, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> uh, so they have some really good food. The one thing that I will give you advice on is if you're going to order that stuff, order like a big chunk of it at a time, order like a hundred bucks worth of food so that you only have to pay shipping once because if you're paying the shipping every time, yeah. it's like seven or eight bucks whether, whether you're getting like one meal or right. 15. Okay, good to know. So it's worth it to just like stock up and get a bunch it's dehydrated so it's not going bad anytime i normally have like five or six of them yeah i'm curious how you know those food brands that ship to your home and you make those like 
those meals. They mm-hmm. just give you all the little ingredients. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how some of that stuff. I'm would sure be it would out all, there. I'm sure it would all pack really fine, but it's all going to be fully hydrated, so it's going to be heavy. Yeah, I mean that's it's true. individual portions, so it's going to be better than like trying to you know one guy carrying like a whole meal worth of stuff. Yeah. But ultimately at the end of the day, dehydrated is always going to win. Yeah. Um, when it comes lighter. to like longer trips. I mean, if it's, if you're going one night, carry a steak, have fun, enjoy yeah. it. You Agreed. know what I mean? Carry a potato, do whatever you want to do. Like, yeah. but if you're going for four days, five days, weight becomes a major factor. Agreed. Yeah. So. It's, we go in one night, you know, the stuff you could kind of throw in there mm-hmm. for a little extra is uh it's a luxury. Yeah. Is there anything that you really wish other than the tent uh, that you had that like seems kind of out in the distance or anything like smaller that you wish you kind of had easier? Yeah. You know, I think a new pad. I need to get a pad. I sometimes. What kind of pad are you using now? Sometimes I'll use my crazy Creek and um, you know, it's one of the longer ones Mm -hmm. so I can sit in it or I can put it under my, uh, sleeping bag and I have this older That's not a lot of pad no I have this older thermo rest but now they make these blow up ones that are really light I got I need, two of them okay yeah I need to get one of those <laughs> they're nice yeah uh, big suggestion though I will say most of those pads are like 20 inches wide so just think about like your shoulders right like you're more than 20 inches wide yeah so you're basically in one spot so if you're the kind of person granted your sleeping bag is going to keep you yeah you know fairly narrow but like i'm the kind of person that kind of spreads my arms yeah. a little bit if i'm on my chest my arms are off the edge of both of mine so if you're going to go that options? route yeah so like big agnes and xped a bunch of these companies make wide ones 24 24 some of them are even up to 30 inches wide okay. it just depends um I would, if I was going to be a ground sleeper, if I was going to be a ground dweller, as we refer to them in the camping or hammocking world, um, I would get the widest pad I could find myself carrying. Sure. Because that to me is, if I was sleeping on the ground, that to me, the pad is the most important thing. Yeah. Like a sleeping bag is going to be a sleeping bag is going to be a sleeping bag. They're going to keep you warm if they're rated well. It's going to be a factor of weight and compressibility after that for the money. Sure. You'll find somewhere on that balance that you can, you know, fit your equilibrium of money versus weight and compression. Uh, a tent. Yes. You're going to spend some money and invest, but once you're into that 200, 300, $400 range, there's a bunch of really good ones. The pad, on the other hand, I feel like there's only a few of them out there that are probably really comfortable for long stretches. Sure. Uh, The other thing that I would say to those people that are early into their camping world, one of the best ways to get a good night's sleep in the woods is to realize that it's not going to be like your bed at home. Like if you go into the woods expecting, no matter how good your gear is, that it's going to feel like your bed at home, that it's going to have the same noises, the same wind, the same whatever, it won't. Um, If you're used to a ceiling fan at home, which I am, A, you won't have that wind, and B, you probably won't have that noise. So you might have to think about that in ways to simulate it or overcome those things. The second you start to realize, I'm not going to get that same night of sleep, it becomes a lot easier to get a good night of sleep. Yeah. Because the you're whiskey, not fighting the differences. Too. And a little whiskey definitely helps. 100%. 100%. Anything else that you want to share or or chat about before we wind this thing down, man? You know, I, I don't think off the cuff. I think you, you had some good questions that prompted me. But, um, you know, it's 
it's good to have a hobby and these trips to look forward to each yeah. one. Um, you know, and I think like you mentioned, the hard part is just can't get enough time to, to do all this stuff. So yeah. you got to make time for it. Yeah. It's something that you have to say, you know, one thing I'm very grateful for in having met Sarah is that, you know, I used to talk about trips a lot and, Oh, I want to go here someday. I want to go there someday. And Sarah's really good about pick a day on the calendar, say you're going, book We're your going. flight. That's awesome. And, you know, and the, the beautiful thing is, especially if you're going like Southwest or some of these other airlines, if you're booking two, three months out in advance, the majority of the places you're going to go in the United States are going to be like a couple hundred bucks, like two, oh, yeah. three hundred bucks. You can get a round trip flight. So if you book your flight today, if you just put that money aside, book your flight today, it will pretty much put you on that path to doing the other stuff you have to do to going, um, yeah. you know, hotels are easy to get out of. Uh, a lot of them just will let you cancel whenever. So book your flight, pick your date, put it on your calendar and start planning. If you just keep saying to yourself, Oh, I'll go someday. I don't think you ever will. Um, so yeah, man, that's it. It takes an effort, but it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming. Oh, this thanks for fun, having man. me anytime. Look forward to maybe we can get a little more granular uh, on the next <laughs> on the next round. And we also need and to get, get some Al. promotion. We need to get Al and Matt in here too. Yeah, we do, and get some promotional dollars for all the shout outs <laughs> we've sure, given. For sure, for sure. Thanks, buddy. All right, thank you.